Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. And stop. He's with you, Jack. With his Honestly. I've guessed it. I've absolutely guessed it. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back. It is another edition of Mode Push, KSL Sports, KSL Podcast, and I'm Alex Curie. Dan Jimenez, of course, is always with me here. Dan, man, just even the week between races is too much. I can't stand it. All this waiting. I know they got to get a bunch of cars across the entire freaking world, but uh, man, what about me and what I get to do on the weekends? Yeah, hurry up. I mean, I need my dopamine hit. (laughs) Now, I've got a couple things to bring up because... Obviously, going to Australia, there are a bunch of storylines in here. And if you're if you're Lewis Hamilton, the play that you make now is, is that, you know, you have this mix of, I trust my team, but my team hasn't gotten it right. But also, boy, what a victim I am because I just don't have a great car underneath me right now. So there's a sandbagging element. I want to start out with your guys at Mercedes and what they're <laughs> going to do and what they're going to do over, I don't know, is there a chance that they win races this year? Is there a chance that they finish outside the top three this year? Tell me where this Mercedes-AMG team is. I would say there is a chance they win a race this year, um, but we're not really going to know until they bring their new updates. And I saw a quote today or an article about Toto um, saying that they're targeting to bring a, their complete new package that is you know, the new direction and design. At the uh, the Romana, the other Italian Grand Prix, yes. not not uh, Monza, but not the Monza, other one. but the yeah Emiliano Romano, right? Something like I think yeah, it's a- yeah. So um, that's you know a few months away, I believe. I think that's like early summer. So we'll know then. You know, when that hits the track, if they're substantially better, then I think that they've will have uh, you know resolved the issues. But 
uh, it, it takes time for that stuff to shake out. But I would I would put my money on at least one win uh, from Mercedes this year. Like you know, last year um, uh, George getting his uh, win snuck in right there at uh, Interlagos. I wonder too, like when you see when you see some of these teams who are trying to. I mean, it's kind of interesting. It's it's an interesting look because there's some teams who are desperate to to develop and like and, and you know we were talking about McLaren before the show and how they're trying to revamp everything. What are they? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's better to give birth than to resurrect the dead, right? That's the whole thing. Is just like we're going to start <laughs> over from totally. We're starting over from the beginning. But what does that really mean for like the development of a of a team that just? What did they do to blow up kind of where they're at right now too? Yeah. So the news from this last week is that they parted ways uh, with their executive technical director. So the you know guy who was in charge of basically the, all the you know technical development of the car, and they're doing a complete restructure with like three technical directors over three different parts of uh, development. And they said that the, these changes were already in motion from last season. Uh, but that the poor start that they've had in the first two races has just accelerated the timeline. And so, um, and then with those changes, they've also announced, and there's been rumors of lots of uh, hiring going on and ex uh, engineers and aerodynamicists from Red Bull, from uh, Aston. I think just today they announced that they like pulled Aston Martins, one of their head aerodynamicists is coming over now. And, uh, We'll see how long it takes for all of those folks coming from the top teams. Ferrari also was one that was mentioned. Uh, how long will it take them to all come together and you know figure out a new direction for the car? I think that t- takes at least a year of development before you see the impact of all the new hires that they're making. So this week, headed to Australia... Uh, you've been on Albert Park. You've driven a rental car. Did you jump it? Is that what you did? You like uh, <laughs> jump the car? Yeah, a- <laughs> I uh, definitely went over the speed limit, but uh, not for too long because you know, man, they love their traffic cameras do. down there. Oh hey. boy! And I did get a ticket in Australia, but it wasn't on Albert Park. It was on the freeway. Did it get out. sent to you, or did uh, you pull over? No, it got sent to us. Yeah, that is <laughs> in the mail. Hilarious. It got sent to uh, my buddy who had the car rental Rented was under his name. Yeah, yes. But then we. We did the forensics, and I was the one driving when we got the ticket. <laughs> so uh, they will not have the traffic cameras up uh, at Albert Park this weekend. Are there any? Is there anything in the top three that's going to change? As you said, like I mean, some of the movement that you do uh, on these teams and try to try to uh, when you try to make your car better or faster, it happens in such a slow pace that uh, you know. How does this track work out for? Mm-hmm the top contenders in Red Bull who have, have just been massive favorites and will continue to be massive favorites throughout the year. Uh, where does the one, two, three look like uh, on these teams and how does this, this uh, racetrack fare for some of these top guys? Yeah. So the unique thing about Albert park this year is they're adding another DRS zone. So there's going to be four total and that's going to be a, a pretty healthy portion of the lap is going to be under DRS. And so with that, a lot of the, the teams are going to run uh, like a heavier rear wing with more downforce because you have more a more percentage of the lap that it's like, you know, flipped up if you're under DRS. And so um, that will, you know, for uh, a portion of the lap, I think that'll help out a lot of these cars that have had issues with rear downforce, especially I think Mercedes Lewis has talked about that they've just been lacking rear downforce. So that could help them out that they're able to run a heavier wing. But then 
that discrepancy of like the uh, the advantage that you get from the DRS being open is also a factor that I think Red Bull has shown that they've had like the most quote unquote efficient DRS system, and so uh, I think that it'll it'd probably be similar from the last few from the last two races with Red Bull being dominant. But I it, there is that extra element that we haven't had in the first two races where I think DRS is going to be a lot more important. Like at Bahrain, like the DRS was like a non-factor. They shortened the, the first DRS section and there's just not very much passing. It just wasn't effective in creating uh, closer racing uh, that I think that Albert park is going to be different. So the closer racing is interesting. You brought that up because I think there's already been criticism too, that all of the regulation changes that have been made for these twenty eight or for these uh, twenty twenty two, you know, starting last year's regulations on these cars, was so that they could get right next to each other or right behind each other. That there would be less dirty air. That there would be actually like mm-hmm. fights happening, one right behind the other. And that's not necessarily been the case. What is the problem? Like, what what is the thing that they were one aiming for, and why haven't they been able to achieve it? Really? Yeah, they were aiming to clean up the air so that the air coming off the car in front didn't have as much of a negative effect on the downforce of the car that's following it. And I think they did make some gains. There were there was more passing last year uh, in 2022 than the prior few years by like I think a pretty healthy margin. It was like 20 or 30 percent um, more passing. But I still think that there uh, you know there's just issues following the cars in front. I mean Max. I mean he went from 15th to what second? Like he didn't. Right. He was able to pass pretty easily. Yep. He had insane straight line speed at um, at Saudi Arabia. But um, you know what they. The, the teams with the rule changes are still working the aerodynamics of the body to still uh, gain that performance advantage that creates the the dirty air off the back of the car. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of two steps uh, forward, one step back. The regulation changes will take the two steps forward on more competitive racing, and then the one step back will be like teams are moving the air such that it's really good for their car, and they don't care about the car behind them. And so... Uh, I think the pendulum just swings a little bit on that. And I think really the only solution right now that in the short term that I think F1 has to create more competitive racing is more DRS zones, sadly. What have we figured out from the rookies who are uh, racing after two races? The first race, you kind of had, uh, you know, uh, a couple of DNFs, or at least I think Nick DeVry didn't uh, didn't finish the race. And then this next time or this last time out, I I mean I don't know if we're finding much out about these rookies. Logan Sargent's been pretty consistent, but yeah. what do we know about these about these new guys for this racetrack in their third race of the uh, calendar here? I think that the the rookies are they're good. Like there's nobody out there running around like Latifi where they're just clearly a lot <laughs> slower and getting lapped. You know, I think that they're quick. Um, there's been just a, you know a little bit of reliability issues or or bad luck. I mean Logan Sargent. If he hadn't had his lap time deleted, which we didn't really talk about that in the race recap for um, Saudi Arabia, but he had a really good time that would have put him into Q2 that got deleted because of a really stupid, I think, uh, decision by the stewards about uh, what was inbounds and out of bounds. And I don't understand how you can have out of bounds on a street circuit where it's like walled in. Right. You know, it's like, well, that, was that thing should be the barrier. He goes, there is no... He's like, I could not go off the track at that turn, or I don't know what they told it, him. It's, it was they, just like, it's like they cu- he cut the very last turn and had a tire inside, I think, the line that designates where you go into pit road. Yeah, but what, what about the four tires that have to be over a line anywhere else on I the I know, track? that's where the rule was like, everywhere else, it's all four tires have to be off, but for right there, it's one. Like, Weird. I don't know, it was dumb. So, barring that, yeah, I think Logan would have had, you know, at least a Q2 top 15 starting um, position and could have, you know, he was already challenging for the points having started, I think, in 20th, so... 
Um, I think Logan is surprisingly consistent and uh, I think is going to challenge Alex for top driver, which is not what I expected coming in. Uh, so Stefano Domenicali, who's the uh, F1 boss, uh, suggested maybe some changes to the race weekend, which is getting rid of FP1, FP2, FP3. What are they going to get rid of? Is he talking about getting rid of all of free, free practice? practice? Isn't that where most gains are made for, for teams to be able to dial stuff up? But here's the other thing that happens. You find out problems with cars. I think it's important. I mean, Red Bull had they they had that issue with Max's car in qualifying. And I think they were, you know, Christian Horner mentioned, he's like, if this is two or three laps uh, later that this happens, that would have been in the race the next day that we had that issue. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, especially when you're unpacking everything from across the world and then hoping everything works. I think that FP1, FP2, FP3 – I don't understand what the what the what you would replace it with. Yeah, there's nothing to be able to. Just, you got to get the car out there and get those reps. I feel like everyone in the paddock reads that quote and just shakes their head because, like you said, it's a safety issue. I mean, it's not like you could just like show up and race. I mean, you got to make sure that this car is put together and that there's not there's not some issue. There's a reason that they do shakedown runs and like you kind of ease your way into it before you go full out. Um, and then, yeah, it's a reliability issue. Is, is there something broken from the shop that we didn't catch? Like, I, I think that um, uh, what he, the spirit of what he was trying to say was, oh, it's not entertaining to the fans, so why do we do it? I'm like, well, in every other sport, there's plenty of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that wouldn't necessarily be entertaining to most fans, maybe to like super diehards it would be, but we don't televise it and we just choose to televise practice uh, for F1. Now, I think that there's, probably too much practice i think three practice sessions is a bit much and even in nascar you know we had a similar setup three practice sessions and then qualifying and you know kind of by the third practice session you're like well should we do a long run yeah let's do a long run see what happens you know you're kind of like you've learned what you need to learn and you can ha- you have your setup so maybe and because it is like right before qualifying i don't know maybe the teams would disagree but i but i, I get what you're saying you go FP1 and FP2, and then maybe go straight to qualifying. But yeah. they've even talked about shortening the sessions maybe a little bit. Would that be something that could be an option then? Because yeah. I will tell you, I don't. I haven't watched a front-to-back FP session. Like yeah. The free practices are, are interesting, and you do like to see – I mean, honestly, the more interesting parts of, of, of those free practices is, oh, okay, who's going to put one into the wall on accident, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Is there going to be a red flag during the practice sessions, which is – Always bad, but at the same time, you go, yeah, I just want to see which teams kind of have their stuff together. And it doesn't necessarily give you a total view, although it has this year. Like, if you're if you're Red Bull, you're at the top of the timing sheet seemingly for every one of these practices and yeah. qualifying and the races. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we need to decide, like, is the point of practice to entertain the fans or is it to prepare the teams to create a then more entertaining race? And I think it's the latter. Uh, but you could shorten it. You could have fewer sessions, and then it kind of amps the temperature of like, man, these sixty minutes or these hundred and twenty minutes are super important. We better get it right. And if we, you know, if you do put one in the wall, then you know these guys basically have to rebuild the car, and then they go out and they and they qualify without any, uh, you know, previous runs on it. So I think that they can and will continue to play with the the schedule for all the weekends. But I, I think too, you got to think about the fan experience for the people that have flown to this race and they plan on three days of entertainment. If you condense that down to two, you lose an entire day of, um, you know, coming to these tracks where they're already having a hard time making money. I just, I don't think that that's right to condense it from three to two days, but you could probably make the on track time, uh, a little bit more high stakes. 
uh, without, you know, compromising safety or competition. So we had an interesting interesting thing that happened over the weekend, which is this this race. uh, You know, we've seen the Watkins-Glenn race. uh, I think – you know, Kimi Raikkonen getting out there on the Circuit of the Americas, uh, certainly mm-hmm. a track he knows well, a track that he's won at before in F1. But getting inside, a, getting inside one of these uh, stock cars and 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 racing is very different. Jensen Button had his like go mm-hmm. at it as well. We're seeing this crossover, and is is America like jumping into? Are, are we are they able to kind of can can F one fans and and uh, NASCAR fans kind of. Uh, can you be both? Like, can you convert NASCAR fans into F1 fans? Uh, yes. I think that it's easier to convert NASCAR into F1 than traditional F1 around. is to, the, to yeah. NASCAR. But The I, racers really love the – why is it that they – It's so lo- different, yeah. Isn't it crazy? Like, like all these guys love the, the, the NASCARs because they're just like, man, it's just like pure – unbridled power yeah, the, at the rear of this cars. car. Yeah, yeah and they, they, you can't believe that cars are this close together going around the track at yeah. 190 miles an hour. Yeah, Kimmy had a quote this weekend that it just felt very old school. You know, he's like, I love that you can pass without needing DRS. Like, there's no tricks. It's just you're out there and it's all about, you know, trying to eke out performance out of these cars that aren't actually super well designed for road racing. <laughs> they're heavy. They're, they don't create a ton of downforce at low speed like F1 cars do. And so... Because they're kind of crappy for that reason, for that reason, it makes good racing because everyone's just on top of each other, right? And you know, Jensen had a post-race uh, quote that was pretty good, and he, he just said, like, he got his butt handed to him in the first ten laps because he wasn't being aggressive enough, and he said, "I'd go into a corner and somebody be inside of me." And after he, you know, got some uh, more used to it throughout the race, he was able to be competitive towards the end. But he didn't really love the fact that you basically used another car to help yourself slow down. You kind of just run into the back of them, and then you kind of move them out of the way a little bit, and then you get side by side, and you bang doors, and that's just very <laughs> unnatural to these guys. But it, it's it, it's a lot of fun, but it, it, it could get – I mean, I watched the end of the race, and they had to extend the race a bunch because the way the rules work in NASCAR is that if there's a, a, a caution flag in the last uh, uh, two laps or more, then uh, – they they restart the race and it goes longer. So it, it was a bit of a circus because they'd go into the first corner and somebody would inevitably get spun out and then you got to do it over again. So I don't really love that setup. But, uh, you know, Jensen, he said that it was he was getting heat exhaustion. He had to pit twice just because he needed like water and ice. Like he was just getting the, the insides of those cars are no joke. Like, oh, it was like 120 degrees probably inside of that car, ugh. you know, for three and hours. And then you have your fire suit on and then on. Yeah. These guys lose ten pounds of a race just in yeah. water. Yeah, and, and F one cars or F one drivers do as well, but it's it's more open air and yeah, you yeah. know. But yeah, Jensen, uh, he f- I think he had a better finish than Kimmy because Kimmy he took a uh, a gamble and they didn't pit. I think with like uh, three or four laps to go, but then he got spun out and you know he finished probably in the twentieth. But it, I think it goes to show that like these F one drivers can't just walk into another form of racing and just like wipe the floor with everybody. But could, but could Kimmy be a champion at some point? Like, does he seem like he's got? Because that's a challenge for these guys, and I think Man. they like the challenge. I mean, Fernando's, uh, you know, driven in other mm-hmm. you know formats before, and they like that. But they're also massively competitive, and I don't think they like the idea of some guy going, yeah, why don't you come over to our race and we'll show you all how it's done, and then getting their butts kicked. Too. Yeah, they don't love that. They want to come in and show that they're you know the, the best drivers in the world. Juan Pablo Montoya made the switch from F1 to NASCAR yes. and had a, a pretty long NASCAR career. And 
eked out a couple wins, but mm-hmm. you know, at no point was he ever uh, contending for a championship. And it's, I mean, these these guys have been doing like driving this type of racing since they were you know six, and they haven't been driving go karts; they've been driving ovals. Right. And the F one guys have been driving go karts. It's just really it's it's different. Pretty wild stuff. Uh, what's up with Australia's version of uh, of the? Um, of the stock car of the NASCAR circuit is their V8, V8 supercars. Super What's that about? Like, I don't know That's anything about that world. Why? Why is oh, it so man. cool? If if I could wave a magic wand, I would turn NASCAR into Aussie V8 supercars. <laughs> What's the deal with these cars? Because they're, you see them, they're, they're more pretty... stock. Like, they're more yeah. like, okay, you're actually taking, uh, you know, uh, a car from Ford or Chevy or... Uh, not no, just a Chevy shell over the top of a frame. On top of like a like custom-built chassis. No, it's like, hey, we're going to convert this thing into a race car. And, uh, you know, it's just it's kind of the same reason as why those guys like going to NASCAR is it's just they slide around more. They don't have incredible traction or downforce. It's just like they're always on top of each other. Uh, lots of power. And there's just it seems like there's always super competitive racing in V8 supercars. And uh, Bathurst is, uh, I think, the famous uh, track in Australia. It's like a, a thousand kilometer race. And it's this track that goes up over a mountain and back down. And it's like. These guys race for a thousand kilometers, and in the end, on the last lap, they're still like banging door to door to get to you know see who's going to win. <laughs> uh-huh. And so I I love V eight supercars, and I I wish that NASCAR would. I mean, I think in the name of safety, like these guys will super speedway racing two hundred miles an hour in a giant pack. You have to have a different a cart that's built differently in order to be safe than like a a, a true stock car from you know uh, an automotive manufacturer. So I see the reason. Okay, let's talk. Let's go back to the F one and and. Uh... Albert Park this weekend. Thoughts on a potential podium finish? Uh, surprises that we could see this weekend because that's all we want. We want some surprises, maybe not just even in the on the podium, but but more just like maybe you get some first points for some guys or any any places where we could be surprised this weekend, Dan. I think uh, Mercedes is better than they're you know claiming. I think that we saw in uh, Bahrain, or not Bahrain, in Saudi Arabia, that they're faster than the Ferraris at a high-speed track. Uh, I think that they could get onto the podium with maybe this new mindset of, like, you know, past is past. You know, we know we're coming to uh, a new design philosophy here soon, and maybe they just kind of get the monkey off their back. So I'll be watching Mercedes. Ferrari, I don't – I mean, it was hard because Charles had to start further back. Uh, but even when the race kind of panned out, he wasn't you know quick enough. I think to get around the the Mercedes or the Aston Martins or, or the anybody. Astons. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, maybe uh, maybe the surprise is um, Lance Stroll gets his first pole. I mean, he's had reliability issues. Not yeah. not his first pole. What I'm saying is first podium of the season. Um, and he's kind of had some you know reliability issues for the first uh, bit. But you know he had a strong race in in Bahrain. So uh, maybe Lance gets on the on the podium. Okay. There. Is that you trying to? That's you trying to convince me what I should do with my fantasy F one. <laughs> yeah, I'm like such a. I thought I did awesome last week. I don't really get it. I'm like, where am I losing points? I don't know where. I, and then like by the end of the race, you go, oh look, I got some good points. And then then they like re add up points again. I don't even know where. I don't even know how they score this thing, Dan. <laughs> I don't all, know what I'm looking at. It's all yeah. It's, it's all like my made bracket up as they it's go. Like, it's like my NCAA bracket. No, no one. There's no points showing up for anybody now. The rest of the way. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not even sure how it works, but. My heavens, I I, uh, I get excited doing it. Okay, uh, I'm. I think that there's going to be. I I think you're going to see Red Bull still be pretty dominant. Like I don't know. I mean, just from race to race, from what I've learned over the last six years in mm-hmm. F1, you just don't suddenly lose pace, and you don't just suddenly find a bunch of pace either. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I I think that and and 
adding on top of it, the thing that I that I love about the idea of Red Bull having a little bit of an issue with their with their two racers mm-hmm. wanting to actually like I mean, do you short Checo the chance to win a championship because you have a number one driver? Uh, you can't publicly say it. You can't pretend, uh, but Checo's not an idiot either. I mean, he'll he'll read between the lines. How do you how do they balance that out between those two guys? Oh, because I, I love the wheel to wheel racing stuff, but it could really blow up for these guys. We've seen it in the past with Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, I think you're sweating bullets if you're Christian or if you're like the chief strategist. For everybody else, it's like I'm just going to do the best, do my job the best that I can for both guys or or for the the you know driver that I support. If you're you know their engineer, do they have totally different um, pits? Do they have totally different pit crews? No, same crew, car? same crew. They just have different engineers. They have different engineers. Uh, do they have different strategists, or is there lead strategist? The engineer has to tell them what the strategist says to do. Uh, I, I that's a good question. I have to probably read into it, and it might change uh, depending on the team. team. To team yeah. But I remember, uh, you know, for a long time, was it last year, or the year before, like in the middle of a race, they'd pan that camera to the woman who was the uh, strategist for Red Bull. Uh, and she's always really good at her job and seemed like she was way ahead of Ferrari and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I think that the chief, the head strategist is kind of then working with Christian to tell the engineers what to tell the drivers. And so, but if for everybody else, it's just, you know, support the team the best that you can. Uh, man, I think that if, if I'm Christian, you have to start developing the plan of, okay, if, if Checo is in front of Max, but Max is approaching him and is faster, do you do you give the order or the other and, way around? Yeah, or the other way. And w- what is that driver going to say? Uh, what what kind of collateral damage care, is that going to create? They don't care what point of the race they're at either. They go, uh, I have better pace. You know, like <laughs> all, the yeah, radio, you're always faster. Than I your have teammate. better pace. What is the plan? And you're like, <laughs> look, do you though? Really? It's like wait, you're seeing the splits, or you go, what is the plan here? You know, they hear these guys get mad and they're like, move this guy out of the way. But is your team going to let you do it? Uh, do you actually have that pace? And, and and then there is a part where you go, you can't let him hold this guy up. You can't you can't waste time in a battle among amongst the team. So it's just like when they tell a guy to defend, hey, you're not passing your teammate. You're defending against the guy behind you for you and your teammate and mostly for your teammate. That's embarrassing a little bit, right, to be told you're going to be playing second fiddle and, uh, you know, playing the wingman role and playing the the martyr uh, to help your guy win the race. I think that whether they tell him or not, Sergio's just going to race. Yes. He's going to do whatever he wants. Is this a good track for him, too? I, I don't know what historically he's he's done. I was it. just looking. Um, I haven't seen a, a Red Bull win at Albert Park um, ever since the Sebastian Vettel oh, days. Oh, wow. So I don't think it necessarily plays into either him or they know um, that. Max. They you know? know that they're like deaf. I bet I guarantee they have their eyes on that thing too. Yeah, like they're yeah, going. They've... We better. We Mercedes has owned us at all these tracks for years, and we gotta we gotta show up and be that team now again. Yeah, and Charles won last year, but I think that man for as a fan, I hope that they say like, hey, you know, uh, they play team orders, and that just uh, ticks off Sergio, and it just makes it him want it even more. I just I I can hear the radio message. I am faster. Why am I being held up? Like just the, even just the drama with the what was the fastest lap? What's the fastest lap time? It's just like ah, keep it at this. You're good. You're fine. And then they have uh, Max nip him, and you go. There's some there's some foul play going on here. You know, yeah. Max and his engineer fist bumping after the race, winking at each <laughs> other like no good man. But that's the stuff that I love. I love the drama. So uh, that's what we're here for. So another weekend of drama. Uh, out of Australia, and uh, of course, we'll have the breakdown as well 
uh, for you on on uh, on the podcast. So it's Moat Push, Dan. Happy race week, man. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I'm excited. Okay. All right. Another uh, shrimp on the Barbie, right? Yeah. Every picture, every stupid poster from all these teams has, like, some version of them being upside down. <laughs> it's like so, oh, very creative. Uh, just have the toilet bowl going the other direction. You yeah, know, that, right. I don't think. Come on. Typical meme. All right. Uh, for Dan Jimenez, I'm Alex Curie. We'll see you next time on Mode Push. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Download, subscribe, comment, uh, and share the podcast with anybody who you think is a uh, blossoming F1 fan because heaven knows we're getting more of those here in the States. So let's get to it. Uh, So for Dan, I'm Alex. We'll see you next time, everybody. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.